Good morning. This morning's passage is 2 Timothy 3, verses 12 through 17. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. These are the words of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to the Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's our text. We're only really going to focus in on verses 16 and 17. This is our God's Amazing Promises teaching series, and we're going to look at His Amazing Promises as it relates to for God to fully equip you. I want to start off by sharing with you a book that I received a number of years ago for my birthday. It's quite a fascinating book. It's called The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. It's, actually, it's a real book, okay? It's not some gag gift kind of book. And what I find really interesting about it, it actually gives you some good advice in various ways. For instance, uh, table of contents, great escapes and entrances, kind of first section, how to escape from quicksand, gives you kind of step-by-step advice, uh, how to break down a door, how to break into a car, how to hotwire a car, how to ram a car. Pretty handy. Just never know when you need to do that. How to wrestle free from an alligator, how to win a sword fight, how to take a punch. We teach men that in premarital counseling. Uh, how, to, how to jump from a bridge or a cliff into a river, how to jump from a building into a dumpster. You never know when you need to do that. Uh, how to jump from a moving car, how to leap from a motorcycle to a car, how to perform a tracheotomy. Look around, see if there's anybody that we could uh, uh, perform that on this morning. Anybody that needs that. Actually, I did two of those when I was a paramedic firefighter. It was a pretty desperate situation. How to use a defibrillator, how to deliver a baby in a taxi cab. I did six of those, not in the taxi cab, but before we got them to the hospital. So that was kind of fascinating. But, uh, you know, as, a, as you kind of go through here, it gives really step-by-step. Step. Let me give you kind of an example here. Uh, this one was uh, interesting. How to maneuver on top of a moving train and get inside. Okay, some of you need to take notes, okay? so. It gives step-by-steps, like here's the first step, do not try to stand up straight, you probably will not be able to anyway. Imagine yourself on top of a train, then it gives you kind of little points underneath each one of these, there's some ideas underneath each one, kind of further explanation. Number two, if the train is approaching a turn, lie flat, do not try to try to keep your footing. So it's turning corners, so lie flat. Here's the, <laughs> here's the next one, this is interesting. If the train is approaching a tunnel entrance, lie flat, and quickly. So you're heading into a, a tunnel and it says, and quickly. 
Uh, there was another one here that I wanted to, oh, here it is, how to wrestle free from an alligator, okay? This is what I found interesting. If you are on land, try to get the alligator, try to get on the alligator's back and put, put downward pressure on his neck. So imagine being on top of an alligator and put downward pressure on his neck. Yeah, right. Uh, cover the alligator's eyes. Now you're covering the alligator's eyes. I mean, this is a serious book. They're actually giving advice here. These are experts. If you're attacked, go for the eyes and nose. If its jaws are closed on something you want to remove, for example, a limb, tap or punch it on the snout. If the alligator gets you into its jaws, you must prevent it from shaking you or from rolling over. These are instinctual actions. Uh, these instinctual actions cause severe tissue damage. No kidding. Some of you are gonna have nightmares over that one right there. I better stop reading this. So uh, at the end of the service, I'll be selling copies of this book out of the trunk of my car in the parking lot, right out here in the front parking lot area. So you can get you one of these and it might come in handy. No, I shared that because one of the ways you can describe God's word, you can see this on your notes, the Bible is like a worst case scenario survival handbook. It's much more than that, I know, I got it. We're gonna talk about that. But it's, it can be like a worst case scenario survival handbook. We live in a very broken world filled with sin and suffering due to man's rebellion and subsequent separation from God. God's word is an indispensable and indestructible guide. So, here's the quote from our text, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good Work. Listen to me. If you understand God's word, apply it to your life, you can face anything in life. It'll equip you for anything, all the way from marriage, parenting, finances, job, every aspect of your life. It deals with every part of our life. Now, let me give you a little background here to this text. Anytime you read a text, you need to know the context. And the context here is that the Apostle Paul is awaiting trial and certain execution and is passing on the ministry torch to young Pastor Timothy. This is his second letter to young Timothy. And this second letter reads like a coach's halftime motivational or instructional talk. So you could divide the chapters up like this. It's, it is the call, it's the Christian's call to courage, chapter one, to serve, chapter two, to persevere, chapter three, this is where our text is, to persevere, chapter three, and then to finish strong in chapter four. But if you take a closer look at chapter three, why is he saying, he's giving him this Christian's call to persevere, and then he talks about God's word, and he talks about in that chapter, at the front end of the chapter, about the godlessness of the last days. And in essence, what he's telling young Timothy, because of the godlessness in the last days, you need to immerse yourself in God's infallible and inspired word to persevere. Otherwise, you will be taken out, young Timothy. The world will demolish you. And so I think this, that's a great word for us. If you wanna be able to navigate through difficult times, especially the last days, if you wanna persevere, you gotta immerse yourself in God's infallible, inspired word. And so, you can see in our notes, it's divided up into three sections. We're looking at verses 16 and 17, the resource, God's word, so that we can be complete, equipped for every good work. The method is we gotta learn how to apply God's word. This is where the breakdown comes. I don't think we, we're good at that. And, and then the last, of course, 
uh, the result will be if we're really truly applying God's word, Christ-like character and conduct. Hey, before we dive into this text and unpack these notes, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's ask for God's help to understand this, illuminate this, apply it to our lives. Father God, open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. Open our ears to hear your perfect love and infinite wisdom from your word. May each one of us experience your deep affection for us, transforming our hearts and making us more like Jesus. We pray in his beautiful name and everyone said, amen. Now you've heard me throughout this series, you know, probably every week, maybe not every week. Like this is my favorite verse. It's like, have you heard me say that? Okay, okay, this is not my favorite verse. Okay, just telling you, this is my wife's favorite verses right here. Okay, these are my wife's favorite verses, seriously. And so I'm sharing my wife's favorite verses, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God is complete, equipped for every good work. Let's break that down. Let's work that, uh, work that out into our lives. So the resource is God's word. If we want to be complete, equipped for every good work, the resource is God's word. All scripture is breathed out by God. Here's your first fill in the blank. The Bible given by God. This is a gift from God, given by God. Now, how do we know there is a God? We know there's a God because not by, um, not by human speculation. <laughs> Believe me, we would never figure this out. We're, we're a messed up bunch. So it's not by human speculation, but by divine revelation. How do we know there's a God? Because he's revealed himself to us. How, is he, how does he do that? Creation, conscience, covenant, Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Testament, New Testament, God's word. He wrote a book the Bible, that's what we're talking about here today, and then ultimately through Christ, he came to this earth through Jesus Christ. That's how we know there is a God. And so there are 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. Now, how many have ever heard of this phrase, canon of Scripture? Show of hands. Canon of Scripture. Okay, a lot of you have, all three services, many people have had. This idea of canon is important to understand to give credibility, veracity, validity to indeed what we have in these 66 books is really the Word of God. The word canon comes from the rule of law that was used to determine if a book measured up to a standard. So we're asking the question, does the Bible measure up to the standard that it's truly God's word because there are other books out there, there are other religious groups that say, hey, this is from God, but we know if you do any research, it doesn't measure up to the standard that the Bible sets for books that are truly from God. The word canon means measuring rod, measuring rod. And so the Bible, I'm not here to prove to you that the Bible, I'm not going to take out the time to do that. I'm just going to tell you it is from God's word. You need to do your homework. You need to do the research. But the Bible has distinctive marks of divine authority, authorship, and authenticity unlike any other book. And so there's this, there's this measuring rod. There's specific questions that were asked about the books of the Bible, and they fit the criteria. You can study that on your own. I needed to study that so that I would know the veracity, the validity of God's word. My wife didn't need to study that because she read the book and she was captivated by the beauty and the glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ. In other words, the glory of God authenticates scripture. I don't know how many times I've heard the testimony of people reading through the Bible and then they're captivated by the author of the book. They realize, hey, this is a God book. 
yeah, there was a lot of people involved in this, but God's speaking to my heart. So the, so the beauty and the glory of who Christ is, almost as the, the book, the Bible is self-authenticating. In other words, I don't need to tell you that the sun is hot and uh, bright. All I gotta do is take you out there, take you outside, and you're gonna experience it. It's self-authenticating. That's how the Bible is. And some people, just by reading it, they encounter the God of the Bible. The glory of God authenticates scripture. But then you also need to know that it fits a certain criteria and, um, and that's called the can of scripture. The church didn't invent the Bible any more than Sir Isaac Newton invented the force of gravity. We recognized it, we received it. And if you wanna do more studies on this, there's a really a, a highly recommended book by F.F. Bruce, F.F. Bruce, the canon of scripture, quite a thick volume. He's one of the top-notch uh, experts on the whole idea of the canon of scripture. Also, if you just want a brief article on this, you can go to gotquestions.org and there's a number of articles that talk about the canon of scripture, kind of give, give you a brief explanation of how we got the, the books that we got in our Bible and why they are truly from God. By the way, anytime I recommend a book or a website, use your own noggin, be discerning. It doesn't mean I agree with everything that they have on there. Compare everything back to God's word ultimately. That's our truth source. That's our standard for life and living. You always take it back to the scriptures. Jude 3 says this, states that our faith, so our beliefs, our truth source, was once and for all entrusted to the saints. Psalm 119, 160 states that the entirety of God's word is truth. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, it's quoting Isaiah 48, which was one of our verses last weekend, says this, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but my word will last forever. This is God speaking to us. His word will last forever. The Bible is completely true. Let me say it again. The Bible is completely true. All 66 books, I don't care what anybody says, I don't care, you know, all the degrees, they might have more degrees than Fahrenheit. Okay, I gotcha. It doesn't matter how smart they might come off or whatever. If they say the Bible's not true, that's not true. They're not true. They don't understand the Bible. They don't understand the scripture. The Bible is completely true, all of it. It is so trustworthy, it can function as the test of all other claims of truth. And so it's, it's how we live out our life. That's why we study the Bible. We have a very high view of Scripture here at Desert Breeze. Everything we teach, everything about us is about God's Word. We want to live our lives and shape our lives after God's Word. It's given by God, but it's also inspired by God. I gave you a definition of inspiration. You need to know that. What does that mean, inspired by God? Here it is. Inspired means God worked through human personality to write what he wanted written. So all scripture is directly from the mouth of God. When that means inspired, it's just all scripture is directly from the mouth of God through these individual instruments that he uses. Over 1,500 years, 40-some authors, and, and so what scripture says, God says. Now listen to what Peter, who also wrote scripture, part of the New Testament, uh, listen to what he said. He's talking to second generation Christians and he says, hey listen, these are not cunningly devised fables that we came up with on our own when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
but we were, listen to me, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. It was self-authenticating. He said he was God. We know he's God. I'm going to my death proclaiming that he's God. In fact, that's what Peter did. Remember, Peter denied Christ three times. This dude went to his death proclaiming the resurrected Christ. He saw it. He was an eyewitness of it. Now, what's fascinating about what he's saying here is that I was an eyewitness, but I'm going to tell you something that's even more sure of me telling you that I'm an eyewitness. Listen to what he says in, in, in 2 Peter 1, 19 through 20. 21 and we have the prophetic word make sure by the way on your notes somebody told me that it was it said first peter i think on there i think it's supposed to be second peter 1 19 through 21 on there and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place he's talking about the old testament until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, all the Old Testament, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. These guys did not make this stuff up. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But here's inspiration. Here's the idea of inspiration. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when you study God's word, I'm telling you, these are the very words of God. These are the very words of God speaking to us. But it's more than that. It tells us in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active. Think about that. So God's word is living and active, sharper than any uh, two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This happens regularly around here. I get up and preach God's word, and people will come up to me at the end, and they'll go, it was almost as if you were talking right to me. And I'll say, I was. I know where you live. I'm following you around. There are cameras in your home. I know every detail. Oh, that's freaky, Pastor Ray. Don't say that. Well, that's not true. You guys know that. That's not true. No, God knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. He loves you. He's coming after you. And when I preach his word, it's alive, it's powerful. It's, it's the, not only the very words of God, it's the personal presence of God. The very personal presence of God. That's why I love God's word. The very presence of God. Now, here's the promise. The Bible is not simply a book that records facts, but a promise that breathes life. It breathes life. Isn't it interesting that he says all scripture is God-breathed? Why would he say that? Because to speak, you have to breathe in and out across vocal cords. You get close enough to someone. It's kind of loud in a place. So you get close to them. You whisper in their ear. You can feel their breath on your ear. Hopefully, they have good breath. And uh, and so you can feel it you can, because they, you have to breathe across vocal cords. That's how you talk. So when it's saying all scripture is God, breathe. By the way, it also tells us Genesis 2, 7, when he created man, what did he do? He breathed into the man, into the man, and he became a living being. So as you're studying God's word, it's the breath of God upon your life, breathing life into you. That's amazing. I love it. And so that's, the Bible is not simply a book that records facts, but a promise that breathes life. It is not a list of rules to obey, but a person to enjoy. A person to enjoy. Now, 
Uh, I put some verses there, John chapter 5, Luke 24. Jesus said, the whole book's about me. The whole book's about me. So if you study this book and you never get to Jesus, you're not studying it right, okay? You're missing the big E on the I chart. Have you ever looked at the big I chart? There's like a big E at the top. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're missing that. If you don't get to Jesus, you got, you're, not, you're not seeing the big E on the I chart. Okay, because the book is about Jesus. It's about relationship with him. It's about enjoying him. And from my experience, most churches this weekend are giving people something to do rather than a person to enjoy. That's common in American culture and American Christianity. God wants you to feel his affections for you and love him in response. There is a major difference between serving someone out of duty, out of have to, and serving, obeying, following someone out of delight, out of friendship, out of want to. He wants you to serve him, obey him, follow him out of want to. It's relationship. This book is all about relationship. I love God's word. I study it. I memorize it. I meditate on it. I cannot get enough of it. I'm listening to it regularly. Oh, my goodness. When you fall in love with the author, you fall in love with his book. You will not be able to get enough of it. You just want more and more of it. You'll take, I, you know, I'll take uh, screenshots of passages from my phone and go around the day with them and pray them back to God, talk to God about them. Oh, my goodness. Now, here's another important point. I'm teaching this class a little different from the last time I taught it, and it's going to be a, a smaller class, so you, you better sign up fast if you want to be a part of it. But I'll, I'll offer it again. But I want to keep it somewhat small because I want to do a little more hands-on on how to really study the book. But, but when you approach the Bible, do you see the Bible as primarily a book about what you must do to be right with God, or is it primarily a book about what God has done to make us right with him? That makes all the difference in the world in how you approach the Bible. If you're coming to it like it's a book, like I got to get my act together, I got to work hard so that I can earn a right standing with God. No, you don't. You'll never be able to do that. It's not a book that's about that. That's why we tend to, in Christianity, focus on, on what we have to do as opposed to what has already been done for us through Jesus Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world in how you read it. It's already been done for you through Jesus Christ. He's already come to redeem us and restore us and reconcile us back to the Father. So as I read this, as it confronts me over my beliefs and behavior, I'm able to change and be transformed, as you'll see as we work through our notes here this morning. And, that's, and that there's a major difference in motivation in how you see God's word. Okay, enough said there. That's important. The resource of us becoming complete and equipped for every good work is God's word. Here's the method. This is, this is where it gets a little more difficult. The method, we got to learn how to apply God's word. How do we apply God's word? So the resource, God's word, given by God, inspired by God. The method, apply God's word. So God's word, all scripture is God breathed, breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So let's try to understand what that means. I think that these words kind of fit into these two categories, beliefs and behavior. So it's going to correct our beliefs and our behavior. Before I look at that, James 1, through 25 says this. Maybe you're familiar with what James says. Don't just be a hearer of the word and so deceive yourselves, but be what kind of a person? A doer, a doer of the word. 
So it's interesting that he would say, don't just come to church and hear the word and, and listen to the Bible on your phone and do all that and deceive yourself thinking that somehow that's going to transform you. No, no, no. You better be taking those truths and learning how to apply them to your life. Be a doer. Be a doer of your word. Otherwise, you're deceiving yourself. And, and you need to understand that. Now, I think what he's wanting us to understand here and what I want you to get here this morning is that over time, he's wanting you to develop what is known as a biblical worldview. It becomes the interpretive grid of your life. God's word is the standard for everything you do in your life in all of who you are. For life and living out life and living for Christ and knowing him. It becomes the standard for your life and all of life is seen through this interpretive grid. And uh, the reason why I said that is uh, I came across some interesting stats here recently. We've got uh, uh, some folks here that teach at Arizona Christian University and American Worldview Inventory 2022. This was one of their releases, release number five, shocking results concerning the worldview of Christian pastors. Dr. George Barna, director of research. I've got a ton of his books, read a book by him years ago on this very topic. You know, Be Like Jesus, I think, is the title of it, and it was on this research on a biblical worldview. And uh, anyway, Cultural Research Center of Arizona Christian University, the release date is May 10th, 2022. That's just this last month. Now, here's, here's what they're saying. It's kind of shocking, it's a bit disturbing. Among all Christian pastors in the United States, slightly more than one out of every three 37% possess a biblical worldview. Only one out of every three possess a biblical worldview. I'm thinking, what in the world are they reading? What are they studying? And, and they're actually, you go to churches today and they'll, they'll teach more self-help or how-to book. They're not actually teaching God's word. And so only 37% possess a biblical worldview. So if that's true in the American pulpits, then that's even more true in American pews. That's why it's so troubling. Now, one of the more troubling revelations emerging from this research is the worldview of pastors who work with young people. Um, now, keep in mind, this is what he says, Barna caution, a person's worldview primarily develops before the age of 13, then goes through a period of refinement during these teens and 20s. By the way, that's why we put so much emphasis. I, I think we have top-notch uh, children's pastor and youth pastor. We've got the best in the valley. I, I, I think it's absolutely wonderful what we, that's why we put so much emphasis on what they do. And they have a rock solid biblical worldview and they're wanting to pass that under our kids. And it's saying that that happens before age 13. You guys also know this and you've heard this stat before too, is that most people that commit their life to Christ, 85% of the people that commit their life to Christ do that before age 18. Why is that? Because the older you get, the harder your heart gets towards God and everything else. Now, it's not impossible for God to reach you. I had, a, I had a crusty old uncle who was in his 80s that came to Jesus, you know. In his, so it just shows you Jesus can reach anybody. My dad was pretty old when he really became more fully devoted to Christ. So he was like least likely candidate. I, I'm thinking this dude will never come to faith. And it's kind of one of the reasons why we got Desert Breeze here is, is I, I felt like we could reach people with the gospel. And dad, my dad was one. And then my, my father-in-law, oh my goodness, talk about a pistol. That dude came to faith on his deathbed and it really transformed his life in an amazing way. So I'm just saying gospel can reach anybody. 
But, that, but it's really critical that we get those kids while they're young and we have our work cut out for us because he goes on and says here, um, from, our, from our worldview perspective, the church's most important ministers are the children's pastor and the youth pastor. He continued discovering that seven out of every eight of those pastors lack a biblical worldview. Seven out of eight lack a biblical worldview helps to explain why so few people in the nation's youngest generations are developing a heart and mind for biblical principles and ways of life and why our society seems to have run wild over the last decade in particular. See, that's why our kids need to know God and have a biblical worldview. He goes on, during these challenging times in America, Christian churches have tremendous opportunities for influence in our nation. However, when the worldview of the leaders, pastors of most churches is indistinguishable from that of non-believers, it is difficult to capitalize on those ministry opportunities. Barna said, it certainly seems that if America is going to experience a spiritual revival, that awakening is needed just as desperately in our pulpits as in the pews. I agree. So what are we talking about when we say a biblical worldview? Without sounding too simplistic, a biblical worldview would be something similar to, remember, it's been a few decades now uh, where we had those those bracelets and those bumper stickers, WWJD, you guys, you guys remember that? Anybody as old as I am that remember that? Oh, some of you are really, really old like me. Okay, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, so what would Jesus do? Let me just say, it, it'd be better say it, said, so when, you're, when you have a biblical worldview, you're asking this question as it relates to every aspect of your life. What would Jesus think and do? Or what would Jesus teach, think, and do? Is that shaping my beliefs and my behavior? Is all of the Bible shaping who I am in my beliefs and my behavior? That's a biblical worldview. So here's the questions that you should be asking as you study God's word. And one of the things that I teach in how to study the Bible, I use kind of, a, kind of three questions, observation, what does it say, interpretation, what does it mean, application, how does I apply to my life? So as you're working through the text, in that, you need to ask yourself, how is this addressing or transforming my beliefs and my behavior? I'll give you an example of that in just a minute. So as you're reading a text, you can say, what is this saying to me about my beliefs? What is it saying to me about my behavior? And that's, that's really, really important. Look at this first fill in the blank on your notes, beliefs. Believes. So the method of how to apply God's word, believes, and that has to do with teaching. So remember, it's profitable for teaching, but also you jump a word and go to correction. So teaching is truth about God, man, and salvation. It gives you your biblical worldview. And then there's got to be correction from time to time. That's why we get together, because we need to have our biblical worldview corrected, our teaching, our doctrine, to make straight again or to correct false beliefs. Now, this is why Paul, writing to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, listen to what Paul says. He says, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. The word teaching there means doctrine. So yeah, you need to have right doctrine, but, but dude, listen, man, you better make sure your life lines up with your doctrine. Now, when I've watched people crash and burn in ministry and in life, it's either one or the other has gone, gone down. It's either they didn't keep a close watch on their doctrine, their theology, or they, they had good theology, but they didn't keep a close watch on their, 
on their life and their life didn't line up with their doctrine. In other words, what we, we call that around here is a spiritual uh, uh, gospel gap. You got good beliefs, but man, your behavior's down here. There's a major gap between what you say and what you do and how you live that out. And that's why he's saying to young Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. In fact, he says, persist in this, for by so doing, you will save, that's a big word, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It'll keep you from crashing and burning in life. Timothy, the godlessness of our culture in the last days is gonna get so horrible, it will take you down if you do not persevere in your doctrine and making sure your life lines up with your doctrine. You're living it out. It'll not only save you, it'll save your hearers, the people you're trying to help out. Now, there's a major difference between affirming right beliefs and living right beliefs. You can affirm all the right beliefs. You could take a theological test, score high. I mean, you could do really well and yet not be living right beliefs. If you really believe, it'll make a difference in how you live that out, if you believe. But you could have said belief, there's a difference between having said beliefs and having real beliefs. And let me give you a couple of illustrations here. When I worked construction, I worked at the Hyatt Regency, and as they build those floors, they get a little bit higher on those floors. There's, there's places in there, and if you're familiar with construction, those floors will be completely empty except for, uh, I mean, you can look completely through that floor because they haven't brought anything and built the structure within the floor. And so what they needed to do is they had to put cable on the outside of the floors to keep you from falling off the edge. And so they had put cable up around it so they could get all the stuff in there to build out the floors because it's just got the big frame, the big uh, beams on the outside. And so as they build it up higher, you could look through that whole floor and that whole floor would be just empty. But if you, if you weren't careful, you could walk off the edge. But fortunately, they put cables up around the floor so you wouldn't walk off the edge. But being young in construction, man, I'm telling you, I was cautious because from time to time they'd pull the cable out because they would drift in some piping or any number of material in there. I just wanna make sure they put that cable back up. I'm not walking off the edge. Why was I so conscientious or cautious as I was working on these big high rises? Because I believe in gravity. <laughs> Nobody had to force me to believe in gravity. I just knew I don't wanna walk off the edge of a building. You didn't have to force me to believe in gravity. You see, I believe in gravity, therefore my beliefs are gonna make a difference in my behavior. Does that make sense? So we need to believe our worldview in such a way like we believe in gravity. It is reality. That's what he's saying. Beware, beware of having right, as I said, affirming right beliefs but not living out those right beliefs. It happens all the time. I see it in, in American Christianity all the time. Here, here's another, another way of, of seeing how our beliefs relate to our behavior. Let's just say that you, you go camping with the family, you, you, you're gonna pretend you're homeless for a week, and, uh, and so uh, you guys know that's a bad joke. And, um, because that's how I think of camping. Anyway, uh, and so you're out there, you leave some food out on your camp table, you got the family tucked away in your little tent, it's a full moon, and guess what comes rummaging around in your camp? A bear. And you can see the bear through the silhouette of the moon coming through your tent, and you're thinking, 
I left my gun in the vehicle, in my truck. What are we going to do? Now, nobody has to force you to be anxious and worried and kind of like, oh, what am I going to do? Is this bear's rummaging around? What are we going to do? How are we going to do? And I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to buy one of these books. <laughs> At the end of the service, out of my car, I'll, I'm, no, I'm kidding. That was a joke. But no, your beliefs... Your beliefs determine how you're going to respond because that's reality. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? Your beliefs go in line or your behavior is a response to your beliefs. Your actions, your behavior will always come not from said beliefs but real beliefs. Now, this is critical to being a Christian. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 8.1, knowledge puffs up but love builds up. Affirming right beliefs will lead to pride. I see it all the time. I know people that are brilliant. And they know God, they know the Bible, they know morality. They are horrible people. They are self-righteous, they're holier than thou. I don't see any love in them and I'm thinking, Dude, for as much information you have in your cranium about God, it ain't changing your life. And it's because they are affirming right beliefs. They're not living those right beliefs because believe me, you begin to encounter the God of this book, you're gonna be a lover like him. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. You're gonna grow in your knowledge of him. It's gonna... Your theology will lead to doxology and that doxology will stir in your heart in such a way that you're gonna love him like crazy and love the people around you. I don't know how you can't help but do that. That's why he says knowledge puffs up, love, love builds up. So, so belief is more than agreement with facts in the head. Listen to me. It's an appetite for God that exceeds all other appetites in your life. When you study God's word, and these are the very words of God, this is his active presence in your life, his breath bringing life into you. Oh my goodness. When you begin to feel his deep affection for you, he transforms you. You become a different person. Now, I have a great appetite for my wife. I love my wife. I have deep affection for her, but not as much as I have for God. And that helps me in loving her more appropriately. So that would be the right order. So, so do you have that kind of affection for Christ, that deep appetite for him? It's more than agreement with facts in the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart that exceeds all other appetites. Now, let me give you a quick example of this before we move on to the next and kind of work through this. I want, I want to make this very practical here in understanding that when you study the Bible, you're asking yourself a couple questions here. What is it telling me about, telling me about my beliefs and then my behavior? So let's use a, a verse that uh, Jace used last week him uh, Isaiah 41 10 it's a great memory verse so it says this fear not for I'm with you be not dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you I will help you I will hold, uphold you with my righteous right hand so what is that telling us about what we should believe 
It's telling us that we have a personal God. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Obviously, they have fear going on in their life. We all have fear going on in our life. So he's saying, hey, fear not, for I am with you. Now think about that. So that's what I should believe, that he's always with me. If I really believe that he's with me, I'm not gonna have fear. That's why he can say, fear not. So my behavior will be not to fear because of my belief that he is with me. You got it? You got what I'm saying? This is how you begin to apply it to your life. So fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. The word dismayed means to have your head spin around like, what is going on? This is out of control. There's no way that God could be in control of this. This is crazy. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I am still in control. Things aren't out of control. I'm sovereign. I'm still working in your life. So there's the belief. So even when you're dismayed, the belief helps you when things are spinning in your life, you know that they're not totally out of control. He's still working. In fact, he even goes a step further and says, in fact, I'm so much with you, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'll always do what is right. Okay, see the combination between the two? So what am I supposed to believe? Personal God. How should I behave? I'm not going to have fear. I'm not going to be dismayed. He's going to help me. He's going to strengthen me because he's always with me. So, so that's how you begin to work it down into your heart. And so what you have to do is I take verses like that. I begin to pray that the Holy Spirit will make it alive in my heart. I don't, want just, I don't just want to affirm my beliefs. I want to live my beliefs. I'm going to live it out of my life. I don't want to be rattled by the craziness of our world and all upset and all angry and uptight and all that other goofy stuff, you know, I can walk in the reality of who he is. My wife and I were talking about this, what really what that verse is saying and in understanding our beliefs and our behavior and how they connect. And we were talking about this last week, that, that that's what real faith is. So when you say, hey, I've got faith, it's not just a blind leap into a dark chasm. It's a step into the truth of who Christ is and what he's doing for your life. And so faith Faith is not, it is not a denial of reality. It's not a denial of, of, of difficulties, but it is a declaration of God's presence, power, and peace to face any difficulty. Do you hear me? It's not a denial of what's going on. It could be really hard in your life right now. I understand that. But faith does not deny that reality. It's a declaration. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Yes, Lord, I believe that. I'm trusting you in this situation. Can't help but think that's for a few folks here this morning. There are people here that are struggling, and it's not denying the reality of that. I'm telling you, it's a declaration. He's not going to leave you. He hasn't abandoned you, I'm telling you. So it's helping you to develop a biblical worldview as you look through the difficulties of life. That's a biblical worldview. Nothing more powerful. That'll transform you. That'll make all the difference in your life. So you got behavior. So you got beliefs, behavior. Behavior, the two words here, training and righteousness, how to live for Christ on a daily basis. And then you got reproof, man. There's sometimes I behave in a not very nice way and I've got people in my life that kind of help me with that. And sometimes I don't even need the people in my life. I've got the Holy Spirit that convicts me. And it brings reproof to my life and says, whoa, what are you saying? What are you doing? What are you thinking? That's not coming from a good place. 
So you got conviction and correction of not following Christ's commands. Now, let me give you some verses here. Uh, Luke 6, 43 through 45, that puts these two together, our beliefs and our behavior. Listen to what he says. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. I, I love actually, I think the NIV basically says the good person out of the good that he's treasured up in his heart. So when you study God's word, meditate on God's word, as you develop this biblical worldview, you're storing up, you're treasuring up in your heart this biblical worldview so that out of that it says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. His behavior, his response to life is different. It comes out of that. It says, if the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Matthew 15, 18, Jesus put it this way. But what comes out of the mouth, that would be your behavior, proceeds from the heart. That's your beliefs. And this is what defiles you. It's not so much your behavior, but it's your beliefs that's the defiling part of you. And so, so here's what you need to understand. You got to get this. I'm going to help you to kind of self-counsel, how to counsel yourself through hard hard places in your life. Sometimes you can't do it on your own. You gotta have somebody help you with this. But I'm gonna teach you how to do this. Your life is no better or no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head, your biblical worldview, your biblical worldview. So how you, listen to me, how you mentally, biblical worldview, that's what you want. Sometimes if you don't have a biblical worldview, you got maybe a secular worldview. Whatever your worldview, how you, how you evaluate, how you mentally evaluate an event in your life determines how you will feel and how you will respond or behave in response to that event. Now, track with me here. We have this delusion in our culture today that I feel and I behave the way I feel and behave because of the events in my life. Look what has happened to me. You would feel this way. You would behave this way too. Look how hard it's been. I am not in any way denying what you've gone through. And you've, you have probably, like many people, have gone through the ringer. It's been horrible. It's been terrible. But it's not the events. It's not the events in your life that has made you feel and behave the way you feel and behave. It's your evaluation of those events. It's what you're saying to yourself. It's whether or not you have a biblical worldview or some other crazy worldview. It's your interpretive grid. It's what you're saying to yourself about the situation of your life. What are you saying to yourself? Are you adding God into the equation? Are you able to say, fear not, for you are with me. Be not dismayed, for you are my God. You're going to strengthen me. You're going to help me. You're going to uphold me with your righteous right hand. If you can't say that, you're not adding God into the equation. You don't have a biblical worldview. It's, and I'm not minimizing the difficulties maybe you're going through right now. I understand it's extremely hard, but you've got to have a biblical worldview or I'm telling you, the enemy is coming after you and the hard times are gonna get more harder and more difficult. And the only people that are gonna survive are people that know the God of the Bible and know the Bible as a biblical worldview as they navigate through life and as they respond in a way that honors him and brings glory to him. This is so, so critical to our lives. And um, so our beliefs 
ultimately determine our behavior. It's our, is the root. Our beliefs are the root and our behavior is the fruit. This is why you can have two people going through identical circumstances and one becomes bitter and one becomes stronger, wiser, deeper. Where they differ is in their beliefs. For example, this is the difference between cats and dogs. Let me apologize before I even say this, okay? A dog looks at his circumstances and says, you feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you must be God. A cat looks at his circumstances and says, you feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, I must be God. <laughs> Same circumstances, different beliefs, completely different behavior. Cats are proud, like their owners. <laughs> Oh, we've only had a half dozen people leave the church over that one. Uh, see, the criteria for some people is, do you guys like cats or dogs at this church? Okay, if you like cats, we're in. This is where we're going to church. No, I'm kidding. So my kids just bought some cats, some cats, and I'm all cool with that. It's all in fun. That was meant to help you. to um, Don't miss the, I, the, the big E on the eye chart here of this, okay? The big idea here, same circumstances, different response. We could all fall prey to that. It's easy for us to do. Here's the problem, is that we tend to focus on externals. That's what the Pharisees did. They focused on the externals, doing. Do, 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 do. It was all, it was all, all about behavior. And we think, man, if I could just get my, my act together, my behavior. No, 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 no. Your behavior comes from your beliefs. So we tend to focus on externals, behavior, doing. That's what the Pharisees focused on, rather than the internals, our beliefs being that's what jesus focused on see the gospel is not behavioral modification but heart transformation so you can trace the fruit back to the root so you can trace your behavior back to your belief system that's good counseling it's like so if the fruit is not like jesus that is an indicator that our faith is not in him so the fruit of our lives comes from the root of our faith. Here's the promise. Applying God's word, biblical worldview will fortify your faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. It'll liberate your life. You shall know the truth. The truth will set you free, John 8, 31 and 32. It'll satisfy your soul, Psalm 119, 103. How sweet is your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my lips. I gave you some benefits to the biblical worldview right there in these texts. I would encourage you to read those. Those are powerful benefits. When you develop a... A biblical worldview, this is what your life will look like. So the resource, the resource is God's word. The method is applying God's word. The result is Christ-like character and conduct. Look at verse 17. That the man of God may be complete. Complete speaks of character equipped for every good work. That speaks of our conduct. So the man of God, so he's assuming something in this. He's speaking to young Timothy. Timothy is already a Christian. He's speaking to us. Many of us are already Christians. So man of God, Paul is assuming we have by grace put our faith in Christ. Now here's, here's how we bridge the gospel gap between our beliefs and behavior. This is how we begin to live this out. This is how we become more like Christ in character and conduct. Don't miss this. This is important. As we study God's word, there's a right mindset that we approach God's word as he begins to transform us into Christ-like character in conduct. And it's the difference between moralism and the gospel. You gotta know the difference. 
Moralism or religion says, I obey, therefore God accepts me. The gospel puts it this way, God accepts me in Christ, therefore I want to obey. Both of these have obedience to God, but for two totally different reasons. If you obey God in order to be accepted or blessed, your obedience will be anxious because you'll never know if it's enough. It will be selfish. You're obeying God to get something. It will be joyless. You're doing it because you have to, and it will be burdensome. It will eventually wear you out because you are doing it from your own strength. What if? What if you obeyed because you already have everything you need in Christ as a gift? You already have the acceptance, security, significance, love, intimacy, guaranteed future in him. You would obey for a totally different reason and in a totally different way. You wouldn't be filled with anxiety, selfishness, joylessness, and feel burdensome. You would be filled with peace and unselfishness and joy, and you would feel restful. See, the motivation wouldn't be trying to fill an empty heart, but out of a full heart. When I obey from a full heart, I am doing it for God and others' sake and not for my sake. Makes all the difference in the world. Most people in the world who go to church are practicing moralism versus the gospel. That's our culture. That's why even among church-going people, there can be a lot of self-righteousness and smugness and always looking down on others and touchy to criticism and joyless and finding it a burden to live for Christ, always fighting about who has the right doctrine and is living in the right way, not love, joy, peace, patience, but anxiety, burden, boredom, anger toward other people. See, righteousness, right standing with God, isn't a record you give to God, but it's a record God gives to you through Christ Jesus. That's the beginning part. That's why when you study God's word, it's not primarily about what you must do to be right with God, but it's primarily about what God has done to make us right with him. And then all I'm doing is I'm reading and I'm responding as he brings correction to my beliefs and my behavior out of fullness. And that's what transforms us as we cultivate intimacy with him. It's a person to enjoy, not just some checklist we go through, but it's interacting with the God of the galaxies because he's invited us into the throne room to know him and to experience him. And then out of that, he brings life change. It's absolutely amazing. That's what he wants to do in our life. And this Christ-likeness is an invitation to the fullness of life Christ came to give us which involves fulfillment and fruitfulness that can't be found anywhere else. So you got character, here's your next fill in the blank. Character, who you are, it's your being, complete, fit, sufficient, able to meet all demands. And then the last one is conduct, what you do, what you're doing, equipped for every good work, fully outfitted, furnished, and supplied. Here's the promise. The gospel is not only the way we begin in Christ, but also grow in Christ. Focus on being with Christ in all that he has done for you, and you'll become like Christ, living a fullness of life that only he can give. I gave you some examples at the end. These are, I, I don't have time to go through these, but uh, of how Christ, how Paul is showing us that the gospel is not behavioral modification, it's heart transformation. It transforms our heart, and then we live a different kind of a life and it's out of relationship with him, I'd encourage you to do that. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. Let's prepare our hearts for communion here.
If you're here this morning and you've never made a confession of faith in Jesus, man, what a great day to do that. This would be a wonderful time for you to acknowledge your sin that separates you from God, believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins, and then confess him as Savior and Lord by prayer through faith, just between you and him. Give your life to him. So, Father God, thank you for the amazing gift of your word that breathes life into us and reveals to us the person of Christ that we can enjoy. As we grow in our biblical worldview, applying your word to our lives every day and in every area of our lives, may it fortify our faith, liberate our lives, satisfy our souls. Help us to focus on being with Christ and what he's done for us. Let that be the preoccupation of our lives so that we can become more like him in our character, in our conduct, experiencing your amazing promise for us to be complete and equipped for every good work. We pray these things for your glory and our joy in Jesus' beautiful name, amen. So you got